This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1668 previews. I'm Brian Chrisman. I'm Adam Murdo. And I'm Chris Everly. And welcome to the show. And luckily I got all the guys on the line here. We had a little technical difficulties, but got Adam and Chris both on the horn here. And how you doing, gentlemen? I am now that I'm here with you, my my brothers. I am just terrific. Mm-hmm. Yep, happy to hear that we are the uh, safe harbor you so desperately crave, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fit. I'm happy. I'm glad to be here as well. All Split right. It. Well, this episode we're going to go through the latest previews catalog. This is the September 2017 previews for items shipping mostly to stores starting in November of 2017. And as always, our preview shows are brought to you by the fine, fine folks at Discount Comic Book Service. Go to dcbservice.com for all your pre-ordering needs. And I have this stuff memorized right now. When you pre-order from them, any DC, Marvel, Dark Horse image title, they are right away 40% off the cover price. Most of your other publishers, between 20 and 35% off cover price. And they do also run many specials where they will have sometimes 45, 50, 60, even up to 75% off cover price on certain items. And they love also to bundle things together. They still have in various forms the DC Rebirth bundle. They'll put together a bunch of titles for up to 50% off cover price. They do have some of their kids' titles as well. And they also continue to have, when you pre-order, any new DC or Marvel hardcover or trade, they are right away 50% off the cover price. Uh, And they offer bags and boards. You can get your books shipped weekly, twice monthly or monthly. You can always, if you happen to miss some books, inquire about getting them added to your list. Been very good with that. Uh, we've been using for quite a long time. We love them. They're great. So check them out. Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. All right. Well, as we record this episode, um, it's uh, Monday, September 11th. And actually, the news came down yesterday uh, on the 10th Sunday that, um, and you don't throw this term around too often, but Comic Book Legend. I fit, uh, this actually fits quite aptly. Len, Absolutely. Len Wein passed away at the age of 69. Now, I know he had been sick for quite some time. Actually, reading some research, he actually has been very ill for like years and years, apparently. Uh, just he, had, always... he had bypass surgery some years back. Yes. Um, but he passed away at the age of 69 yesterday. And it's... Uh, and again, doing the research on on his career, uh, just obviously the, the the big tent poles are of course with Bernie Wrightson creating Swamp Thing, and of course with John Romita Sr. and Herb Trippi creating Wolverine. 
but just wrote so many other comics, you know, editing. You know, of course, he edited Watchmen. He edited Christ on Infinite Earths. Um, just so many things, uh, writing. He even started out as an artist, I, I found. I did yes, some, he did. Actual, some yep. actual drawing. Um, started out, I think his first work was with, was with Marv Wolfman, actually, back in, like, 1960. They were child, their childhood friends, and they would go to the DC, uh, take the DC tour, basically every week when they were kids. When, they, when you could go to the DC offices and, and get tours around the office, so they were childhood friends and pants. One thing we should always also mention is with Dave Cockrum, he's responsible for the new X Men. Yes, giant size X Men number one. So I mean, he, I mean, Roy Thomas had a hand in that. Later, they bring Chris Claremont. And I read a quote from Claremont where he basically said, "You know, th- th- none of this exists without Len Wein." Mm-hmm. In terms of the new X Men, so his 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 impact on comics, especially from the Bronze Age forward, is just is it's monumental. Yes, and again, as much as sometimes I'm not too crazy about the social media, just seeing all the outpouring of his p- contemporaries and peers, just to a to a man and a woman, it seems like nothing has ever been said bad about Len Wein. It's just reading, it just seems, everybody just seemed to love him so much. I mean, reading from like Mark Evanier, uh, Paul Levitz, you know, Jerry Conway, Mark Wade, I've seen just this outpouring of, uh, of love and support. And that's, that's really good to hear. And actually at the end of the episode, we're going to play, uh, I'm going to play a uh, interview we did with uh, Len Wein uh, from 2009. Oh, uh, wow. We were at uh, our first fan expo Canada uh, in 2009, and we had a, a wonderful booth set up. We actually brought along the laptop and a, a portable um, mixer, and we had headphones, microphones. We were doing interviews actually at the booth, and this was a, this is a big deal for us, one of our first real big doing interviews on the floor of a con. And Tiziano, uh, who's at that time was you know big with helping out with Fan Expo, um, came over to our booth and said, hey, I'll bring you up some folks to interview first person he brings over is Len Wein. And it's like, oh, God, there's, there's Len Wein. So at the end of the show, Brian Deemer and him have about like a 10-minute talk on, on the floor of Expo Canada. Uh, and <laughs> it's, it's a fun chat. And it's interesting because I guess Brian at the time, you know, just thought, oh, I'm going to ask him about what he thinks about Alan Moore running Swamp Thing. And <laughs> it's a really funny response. So stay tuned to the end for that. Um, my gosh. Oh. Adam, um, I know you're a big crisis guy. What can you tell me about what he did for uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths? Well, in addition to having been the editor of, of that maxi series, as you mentioned, uh, he also, uh, this is less uh, commonly known, he was originally going to be the co-writer of the whole thing with Marv Wolfman when it was still in its earlier planning stages, when it was still known as History of the DC Universe and uh, slightly later Crisis in the DC Universe. Uh, but eventually it became apparent that his other commitments were too burdensome for him to be able to uh, give that project as much attention as it deserved as both scripter and editor. So uh, he allowed Marvelman to assume the authorial reins completely. But it was just as much, or nearly as much, his brainchild as it was Marvelman's. And we also might as well mention, uh, on a very closely related topic, that... Uh, uh, Wolfman and Ween were also instrumental, along with Bob Greenberger, with bringing us Who's Who, the definitive directory to the DC Universe, which was intended as a companion volume to Crisis on Infinite Earths. So between those two things, Who's Who and Crisis, two of my very favorite things in all of comicdom, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm pretty keenly feeling the, the, the passing of Mr. Ween. And 
So I join his longtime friend and collaborator, Marv Wolfman, and many other voices around comics and in, 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 in mourning his passing. I also fondly remember him for his curatorship of the Batman comics in the latter Bronze Age. And we might as well mention, too, that he was, for about a year, editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. Yeah. Yes, he was, yep. And he wrote, uh, he wrote Spider-Man, he wrote a whole series of titles. And I think I wanted to mention another key historical moment. Uh, he, with Wolfman, he wrote a very important Teen Titans story in the 60s called Titans Fit the Battle of Jericho, which would have uh, introduced DC's first African-American superhero, rejected by Tino. And there did, a revised story was published in Teen Titans number 20. So right from the beginning of his career, uh, he was, you know, really making his presence felt as as an important creator. Oh, and uh, speaking of uh, us interviewing him at Fan Expo uh, twenty uh, two thousand nine, Adam, I think that's where we got him to sign our bound copy of uh, the DC uh, Who's Who. Yes, and his signature is you know, even if he had not left us this week, it would have been crucial. In that uh, you know, he was so instrumental in getting the project off the ground in the first place, he was one of the founding fathers of Who's Who. So. Very glad we were able to get his signature in there, and all the more so now that we know we'll never have another chance. Yeah, like I said, it, it, you don't usually throw around the word legend too often, but it, it's very apt in, uh, in his case. Oh, without question. Yes. All right. Uh, before we get started, a couple of the quick notes. Um, uh, not too long ago, about a week or so ago from when we were recording this, uh, a, a new uh, podcast dropped from Friends of Ours. Uh, a new ongoing podcast featuring the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, join Eric of Longbox Review and Peter, the Rios, uh, of the Daily Rios, as they discuss issue by issue the classic Legion of Superheroes series, effectively known as the Baxter Run, which Ooh, began yeah. in 1984. Oh, wow. Yes. Uh, this is a... It's a great idea for a podcast, first of all, and they're both great um, podcasters. And I want to listen to this, but I haven't, of course, haven't read the series. <laughs> I hear so many good things about the Five Year Later Legion, and I, I dip my toe in the early '60s things and some of the Bronze Age Legion, but that's one of the um, spots of my reading that I've never really followed up on his legion stuff so it sounds like a great idea looking good, good success for them both and uh now i want to just dig out my legion issues and go track them down and start reading that pants what's the name of the podcast again the legion project you can find okay, it of course you. through the daily rios uh and his feed also through eric's at the long box review feed as well and just had their first episode drop uh, last uh, monday september 4th all right so check them out and speaking of comics and back issues, how's that for a segue, Chris? The floor is yours. Uh, honey, <laughs> I just got all sorts of nougaty inside. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, we're – again, uh, and I'll be trumpeting this on the show. I'm going to put it on the forums, on my website, on Facebook. We're getting ready for our annual fall sale, uh, which will be held on September 30th, October 1st. That's Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I am – in the midst of assembling as many back issues as I possibly can uh, to add to our inventory and use trades as well. Uh, Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and then Sunday our normal hours from noon to 8 p.m. Uh, Saturday we're going to have a raffle at approximately 3 p.m. Yeah! And uh, <laughs> uh, oh, you just went all Conan on me. Fantastic. <laughs> and uh, that raffle, half the proceeds will go to the Hero Initiative, and again, uh, tribute to our 
dear departed comrade in arms, Jamie D. Uh, I have not assembled all the raffle items yet. You can reassure there's going to be some uh, IDW artist editions in there. There's going to be uh, wall book class cutback issues in there. Uh, there's going to be uh, a beautiful, enormous Thanos statue we just picked up. Uh, other items. I'm going to be posting all these things in the next couple of weeks uh, on the website and on Facebook. And um, again, you know, we, we're going to have thousands and thousands of quote new back issues in the shop. Again, the, on the midst of securing uh, various collections, large and small. Now, um, and as I mentioned the last time I was on the show, the summer was not friendly to my business, so. I need people to come to the sale to give us a real shot in the arm. And uh, if you're anywhere than reasonable distance, and even if you're not, believe me, if you love back issues and you love you know, the environment of a real comic shop, uh, you're, you're please, you're really going to enjoy yourself. I know the two gentlemen allowed me now would concur that I'm not you know, blowing smoke here. Mm-hmm. So uh, hope, hope to see a lot of listeners. I love meeting listeners at the store, and, and we always tend to see a lot during these events. So please join us. Uh, I believe both of you guys are going to be there, correct? I'm planning on Saturday. Being there, yep. My calendar is marked. Ah, oh, honor, gentlemen. You had so again. That's uh, <laughs> Again, that's Saturday, the thirtieth of September, and Sunday, October first. Uh, again, more information is going to come out in terms of what we're going to have and, and what the raffle is going to have in its entirety and so forth. So uh, stay tuned. But uh, Wild Pick Comics, fourteen South Michigan Avenue, Kenilworth, New Jersey. Thanks, Fancy. You're welcome. And as always, shop early and often for best selection. Indeed. <laughs> All right, are ready to jump into the previous catalog then? There are. All right. Well, starting with, as we usually do, at the beginning of the book. Well, first of all, they, of course, have their Halloween Comic Fest um, books, where it's similar to Free Comic Day, but happens in the fall for, for Halloween. Uh, happening this year on Saturday, October 28th. They have the different books available for you there from most of your comic book stores that have diamond accounts, which Chris does not any longer. So that's Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really not going to miss Halloween Fest, I have to tell you. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump into Dark Horse. Well, if you're a, if you're a Hellboy fan, uh, they got a new miniseries coming out written by Mike Magnolia, art by Chris Robertson, Rasputin, the voice of the dragon. So this is a prequel. To the original Hellboy story. It looks fascinating. I love any story involving Rasputin. He's such a fun historical figure. And uh, the first issue is 60% off of DCBS, only $1.59. And also from uh, Dark Horse and DCBS at 60% off is Jenny Finn, number one, and Tomb Raider Survivor's Crusade, number one. Yes, I will personally recommend to our listenership the Jenny Finn miniseries. You know, something else for the Hellboy fans out there, since it's written by Mike Mignola, art by Troy Nixty. Um, I picked this series up when it was first published back in the late 90s. I think it came out through Oni originally, and it was uh, black and white in those days. This is the first time it's being printed in color in single-issue form, we're being told. But it's it's a great, creepy story, Lovecraftian horror in a Dickensian setting, you know, the... the atmosphere of suspense and uh, supernatural menace is thick enough to be cut with a paring knife. It's, it, it, it's really creepy and, and heavily moody, and uh, yeah, I, I, I like it quite a bit, although I would recommend, um, if you can find it someplace in the original black and white, it's probably preferable to this uh, full-color Dark Horse re, uh, reprinting being offered now. Well, accolades for merge never be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. I want to point on page 53. I was on the last preview, so I'm sure you guys mentioned this, but 
Sherlock Frankenstein and Legion of Evil from the world of Black Hammer. Black Hammer won the, the deservedly won the Eisner Award for Best New Series. This is a magnificent deconstruction, a sort of Golden Age characters, it's a Golden Age type characters. This this is a spin-off title. If, if Jeff Lemire is writing it, it's going to be good. So if you love the main title, I'm definitely going to pick up uh, this offshoot miniseries, which I believe I believe deals with some of the villains of the Black Hammer universe. Yep. Yes, indeed. And again, on page 54, if there's ever was a Brian Wood proper that should be made into a television show, it's Briggsland, about the secessionist family who controls so many square miles of upstate New York and their sort of Shakespearean uh, dynamic and intrigue. Every issue is, is always at the top of my pile whenever it comes out. Uh, page 56. I'm sorry, Pants, no, go ahead. You go ahead first because mine is on the next All page. Right. All right. Matt Wagner's Grendel Tales. Um, I'm a huge Matt Wagner fan. I'll talk more about Mage later on in the book. Uh, this is reprinting his magnificent run on uh, Grendel stories, which came out – a lot of this came out in the 1990s. We sort of expanded the world, the, the universe of Grendel, in a sense, that he, be, that he began with the, the Komiko uh, stories in the 1980s. I highly recommend these. Um, again, if you're, in, into the, if, you're in, if you've never tried Grendel, go back to the beginning, read the original stories, and then explore – the whole university creates out of that original miniseries where basically a, a whole sort of post-apocalyptic world comes out of – is inspired by the, uh, the example of the original Grendel Hunter Rose. It's a fascinating uh, universe. I highly recommend that. Go ahead, Pansy. Yes, on page 57, I want to point out Michael Chabon's The Escapist Amazing Ugh. Adventures Trade. Uh, in the fictional world of the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay – the escapist, master of illusion, foe of tyranny, champion of, liber of liberation, and epitome of golden age superhero, was conceived. This anthology is a collection of the hero's history and his exploits created by an all-star cast of comic book luminaries. And I'm looking at my want list here, and I'm actually missing a couple issues from this. I think I might have to get this, because this contains you know, a total of 26 tales along with two never-before-collected stories, and also has um, six never-before-published stories, as well as a robust gallery of pinups celebrating the world of the escapists, like pinups from Brian Bolin, John Cassidy, Mike Manola, and so many more. So $24.99, actually 40% will be $14.99. I think I'll have to add this to the collection because it's easier than me trying to find those other three issues I don't have. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, only have the first issue that they put out, actually, of this, and uh, I've heard many good things about it since, and uh, I think I'm going to have to jump on this bandwagon with you, Brian, and, yes. and order this trade. Uh, consider consider that uh, a Troika, gentlemen, because I'll be getting this as well, because I love the original Cavalier and Clay. You have Michael Chabon involved in this and Brian K. Vaughan, among many others. I, I've never read all these stories, so I'm going to get it as well. And I actually recently dug out the actual um, novel and started rereading it again. Uh, he's he's one of my favorite novelists, living novelists. Uh, right now, I'm just finishing up his latest book, uh, Moonglow, which is wonderful. But yeah, if, anyone who loves comics and sort of like the history of comics, you got to read The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay because he, he's so lovingly. I mean, it's based around two fictitious characters, but they're clearly inspired by the beginnings of the comic book industry, the impact of World War II on that, and so forth. It, I mean, it, it won the Pulitzer Prize and deservedly so. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, an actual book book I'm going to read, not a, not a picture book, a book book. <laughs> <laughs> what else for Dark Horse, gentlemen? 
people are hungry for a little bit of bidet. Um, on page 58, we've got a hardcover called New York, uh, which is a post-apocalyptic story about a young boy, a black boy, who has been uh, shunned by his uh, well, tribe of uh, post-apocalyptic Americans and is uh, trying to find, uh, or just struggling for survival, trying to get to the legendary city of New York, which is, of course, New York City, uh, where he hopes to find safe haven. The cover image of uh, what writers of post-apocalyptic fiction and um, filmmakers seem to be really drawn to this image of a a dilapidated or ruined Statue of Liberty, but uh, the the cover is uh, the main character looking up at uh, the Statue of Liberty with a giant uh, satellite dish built over her torch. Yeah, it's pretty artistically stunning. Um, So yeah, that's something to consider if you're into Franco-Belgian comics. I'm sure Brian Brian Deere would appreciate that, my friend. (laughs) Should we move on to DC? Yeah. Uh, and first up... Pants? It's time, Pants. It's time. Yeah, it's time for waiting. the Doomsday Clock. Yeah. Um, I've been looking forward to this. Again, sort of a continuation-ish from things uh, let uh, set up in Rebirth Number 1 back in May of last year. Um, written by Jeff Johns. Art and cover by Gary Frank. 12-issue um, maxi-series. Says you are not prepared for what lies ahead within these pages, good readers. Um, now it comes out the first issue on November twenty second, which is a Wednesday towards the end of the month. And I'm always debating: do I order through DCBS or do I go to the comic shop right away and get so I'm not spoiled? So I'm sort of on the because it's half off through DCBS. I mean, it's a five dollar comic, sorry, four ninety nine comic. Um, get it half off. <laughs> But, you know, can I wait that week? I mean, again, these are, these are first world pants problems. Can I wait a week before reading it? Or, or do I just jump and go to the comic shop right away and get it? Tempting, uh, uh, tempting. I'm looking forward to this quite a lot. And has it, has it been over a year now since Rebirth started? It started about like May of, uh, the end of May of 2016. So we're coming okay. up on a year and a half so far of, uh, of Rebirth. On page 80, this is interesting. Hawkman found. I didn't know he was lost. He's such, a, he's such a cuddle bug, isn't he? All right. Written by Jeff Lemire, art by Brian Hitch and Kevin Nolan. Um, I think we're all – it's fair to say that Hawkman was done a disservice when they did the um, relaunch back in what, whatever year it was, 2000. 2011, yeah. 2011, yeah. I mean it was atrocious, especially because they did – Jeff Johns and James Robinson did such a wonderful job with Hawkman prior to the – what I now consider totally unnecessary revamping and rebooting of the DC Universe. Um, so I'm interested to see how they tackle him here because the whole premise apparently is that he's missing. So now it, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery story about where to find out what has happened to Hawkman. So I'm probably going to give this a shot because it's Jeff Lemire. I mean uh, he, he does a little wrong in my, my book. And, and Hawkman I think is a, is, is a character with a great history that Recent creators did a great job sort of disentangling when they brought him back to JSA and so forth, and then they, just, they just lost focus with him when they did the, the reboot, and I hope they can bring him back because I, I think he's such an important character. I want to comment, if I may, on page 85. If you're not reading Aquaman by Dan Abnett, you're missing one of the consistently best titles DC is producing right now. I'm a little behind. I just read through issue 25, and it's a wonderful uh, take on – the character in that his kingdom has been wrested away from him by other factions within his government, 
and you know he's and how he's being criticized for trying to make peace with Atlantis in the surface world, and the impact it's having on him, his relationship with uh, uh, Mera, and and, and so and and the, the surface world and so forth. It's so masterfully done. Um, the the political intrigue. Uh, the dynamics between the various characters, the history of Atlantis, which clearly Abbott has done his homework on, because that, that's another thicket to wade through the DC history of Atlantis. Um, and he has an admirable job of it. Now, I just, I've read through issue 25. I'm going to butcher this name. I apologize. But the art by Stepan Sedgik is breathtaking. It is absolutely breathtaking. It, it, he really captures the real majesty and grandeur of Aquaman and his world. And obviously, they're, they're drawing him like he's going to appear in the movie now at this point, but who cares? It's beautifully rendered. And uh, if you love DC characters and, and, and you love a well-written superhero story that has some real uh, thought behind it and, and has a subtlety, read this book. Write, go back to issue one of Rebirth and go forward. You will not be disappointed. Aquaman, I think, was one of the great surprises of the, of the, the reboots several years back, the Jeff Johns one, which I thought was wonderful. Abnett carries the torch, ladies and gentlemen. One of, the, one of the best DC books out there, period, in my opinion. Oh, jeez. What else? Well, I'm looking on page 87, and I see Batman Annual Number 2, written by Tom King, with wow. art and cover by Lee Weeks. It's like, uh, I so loved um, the Batman Elmer Fudd special they did together. And I'm not buying Batman now. I'm just, I'm really not buying pretty much anything DC other than Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. And it's like. I might just have to get this because I want to miss the boat again, like I did almost did on the the Elmer Fudd one shot. Well, it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a flashback to how Batman and Catwoman first met. All right, or the, the the early days of their relationship. So that's going to be gold. Yeah, Christ, I gotta I gotta get that son of a gun. It's like I'm trying to just really, really, really do a very narrow focus on buying comics, uh, new comics right now. So I'm just I have such a back catalog to go through, and it's like, but I I can't. <laughs> Uh, pants again. These are good problems, pants. These yes, are good problems. again, again. Page eighty-nine got uh, Deathstroke number twenty-five, continuing oh. uh, the arc written by Christopher Priest, with uh, Deathstroke taking a turn at a more straightforward uh, heroic persona. Uh, he's uh, captured and tried for treason by the secret society of supervillains. So we get to see Christ, uh, Priest's take on all these classic DC villain characters. Loved what he did with the Clock King in just a couple of pages in his first issue of his run, so I think I'm probably going to be getting this one too. Yeah, th- th- this series is again. Many listeners know my love for Priest's work, but this series is consistently a great read. Like anything Priest does, and I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way. You got to work a little bit as a reader. You got to think. It's not just slam bang, mindless action, and you know derivative pl- pl- subplots. He, he's really exploring Deathstroke's character, his past. The ramifications of the choices he's made, and and the reasons why he's trying to go, you know, quote straight, so to speak. It's absolutely fascinating. Page ninety-seven, Justice League of America Annual Number One. This is for old school Lobo fans. It is a story drawn by Kelly Jones, who also provides the cover, and it's uh, Lobo and Black Canary on a mission in space. <laughs> And Murd, in keeping with that fun-filled spirit, and I jump ahead to page 103. This is right up your alley, Murd. Super Sons Annual Number One: Super Pets Unleashed. Ah, yes. Featuring uh, Damian Wayne and uh, was it Chris Kent? Is that uh, that's what, what, what is the current uh, Super Sons name? I'm, I'm thinking back to the pre-Flashpoint kid. Oh boy, you got me there. I forgot too, honestly. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, son of Superman and Lois Lane, the pre-Flashpoint versions. Uh, that's what this whole Super Sun series has been about. And now they brought their dogs out to play. It's uh, the world's caninest duo of Crypto and Titus. And uh, written by Peter J. Tomasi, a writer whose work I typically enjoy, pretty solid writer and former editor. And art by Paul Pelletier. I would buy this just for that. And I want to join everyone uh, listening out there. Uh, I'd remind you that last year, uh, the last time... Uh, a, a story appeared in the DC annual featuring the Bat Hound. Uh, it won an Eisner. So don't sleep on this <laughs> one. Uh, Indeed. That, that would be John, John Kent, Jonathan Kent. John, see, that was going to be my Thanks, second sir. guess after, after Pa. Uh, this is very exciting. On page 109, Batman, Creature of the Night, written by Kurt Busiek in immediately. Uh, art and cover by John Paul Leone. So you may recall they did the Superman Secret Identity story. Some years back, so this is this is a is a young Bruce Wayne Bruce Wainwright, excuse me, lost his parents in a violent crime, and in the real world, no superheroes exist to save the day. But as grief and rage builds inside Bruce until he feels he can't keep it inside anymore, something strange starts taking wing in Gotham right. Perhaps Bruce's grief isn't inside him after all. So for uh, uh, four issue limited series, uh, I'm assuming it's like a prestige format, five ninety nine a piece. I'm definitely getting this. Mm-hmm. It's Kurt Busiek. Right. Like you, Chris, Busiek was really all I needed to see. But uh, the fact that this is a follow-up to Superman's secret identity is even better. Oh, and I lost a page there. Go ahead, Oh, go ahead, Chris. You, you no, I'm jumping, I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, okay, I'm going to jump back uh, to page 108, opposite uh, Batman Creature of the Night, uh, as uh, James Robinson's run as writer on Wonder Woman continues. And it's now becoming clear to me what wasn't before. He's doing with his run basically what Greg Rucka did at the beginning of his post-Flashpoint DC Rebirth era run, uh, where he's doing uh, uh, sustaining two different bi-weekly storylines. Uh, one set in the present of the DC Universe and one set in the past, appropriately titled, titled Times Past, which fans of Robinson's work will remember from uh, the uh, Times Past text pieces in Starman. Um, but anyway, it, uh, it's, fine. it's addressing the issue of Wonder Woman's long-lost brother, Jason, which was teased some time ago. Uh, so apparently Robinson is the one who's going to get to explore that, uh, that uh, newly exposed facet of uh, Diana's history in, in Wonder Woman ongoing title. So that's uh, two issues there, number 34 and 35, coming out in November. On page 113, Mike Norton is doing the art on Mystic You, number one, written by Elisa uh, Whitney. Whitney, excuse me. Looks like that's a, Zaytana, a young Zaytana story. So it's mm-hmm. Zaytana learning how to use magic. Art looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's. I'm not really in love with the concept, but for, for Mike's sake, I think I might end up picking this up. Uh, back on one. Go ahead, Murray, Go ahead. I'm sorry. My apologies. <laughs> yeah, two steps forward, one step back. Um, page 110, uh, we've got a new Black Lightning miniseries written by uh, the creator of Black Lightning, Tony Isabella. At oh, Art wow. by Clayton. So it's a six-issue miniseries, um, a new approach to Black Lightning um, in anticipation of the CW Network TV series he's going to have eventually, I'm sure. Um, I'm kind of wondering if it's going to mention his uh, friendship with Blue Devil, which is something that uh, was DC tried to do with the character in the post-Flashpoint New 52 era, uh, or they may simply overlook that. Kind of hoping they don't, because Blue Devil's a favorite character of mine, and I'd like him not to be forgotten. B- uh, Blue Devil's uh, Peter Rios is a big fan of Blue Devil too, correct? No, yes, certainly. Yeah. 
crisis kid that he is, Blue Devil came into being at uh, the time when Peter was first reading comics. Indeed. Now, on page 118, if you're not reading Mr. Miracle by Tom King, I've only read the first issue. I haven't picked up the second one yet. Already, it is, it is as far as I'm concerned, it is mandatory reading. Just if you love the comic book medium, especially the DC Universe, and if you love Kirby and his concepts, my god, read this book. Because the, the, the power and just glory and grandeur that he brought to the vision, I mean that in terms of his writing ability because the, the vision story was very dark, but easily one of the best Marvel stories of the recent years. You, you're seeing it again in Mr. Miracle as far as I'm concerned. Read this book. Tom, I, I know you may not be listening, but you are easily one of the best writers in comics right now consistently, and this is another example of that. And interesting, on the next page, uh, 119, New Talent Showcase 2017, number one. Now, the reason why I say this is interesting, because you're at, it's, it's an 80-page comic with all this um, new talent doing a lot of um, work on these uh, different characters, but it's got a $7.99 cover price. Um, so asking people to take a chance on a book with new talent for that price is a bit of a gamble in my opinion um, even at 40% off the DC bet it's still $4.79 um, you really either have to really like the, the creators or the characters in the book which appear to be like Poison Ivy Dr. Fate uh, Red Hood, Duke Thomas um, I mean it's, it's great they're trying to get new talent out there but uh, I'm not sure this is the best way to do it, but again, well, I'm, I'm not in the business, so I don't know what else, how, how else you do you know, it. I mean, we can't pretend to know what the economics were behind this decision. I mean, sure. for my voice in the peanut gallery, make, like, release individual like, $1 comics or $2 comics for each of these new talents just to give it a shot, see if people pick it up. I mean, I'm not buying this. I mean, you know, my budget is as limited as it is, so, you know, I'm not spending $8 even at a discount on something like this. I, I think that's, an, to me, that's that's just a misfire. Um, again, I want to applaud Nightwing the New Order by the great Kyle Higgins, art by Trevor McCarthy. Fantastic Elseworld. At least the first issue was, so I'm staying with that all the way through. Um, all right, who's reading the Jetsons on page 123? <laughs> yeah, how about that? So uh, Pass. <laughs> art looks fun. We've got Space Ghost and Future Quest Presents number four by Jeff Parker. Art by Ron Randall on page 124. I've I really have enjoyed – I haven't read much of but DC just get, delving into all these fun properties that they have access to. Definitely definitely groovy, murder. I want to use a word you enjoy. <laughs> In lots of far out ways. Ah, I just got chills. Um, again, I want to applaud DC for really mining their vast library when it comes to new trades. So on page 131, Batman and the Brave and the Bold, the Bronze Age. Earth H, right, Amard? Earth B. Earth B for Bob Hain. I thought, okay, I wasn't sure it was B or H. So you went to some wacky, fun, one-and-done stories that have no basis in continuity and had that wonderful Bronze Age sheen. This is where you want to go. Mm. Yeah, and I'm just, they're, they're, they're kind of hard to come by in decent condition in single-issue form, too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I am trying to collect as, you know, I'm a fan of team-up titles, and I'm trying to collect as many issues of Brave and the Bold as I can. And this trade contains 18 of them, uh, only three of which I currently have in my collection. But all the same, I think I'm going to resist temptation and just continue the hunt. 
Fair enough. Uh, we got on again on page 133, Greenland to the Silver Age Omnibus Volume 2. So classic stuff by Gardner Fox, John Broom, Mike Friedrich, Denny O'Neill, ARP, of course, by Gil Kane, who's most associated with the Silver Age Green Lantern, uh, Mike Sikowski, fantastic. JSA by Jeff Johns, book one. That's a masterful series. Uh, can't recommend that enough if you haven't read it. Yeah, and a, a side note on that uh, JSA trade. I was at the uh, Comic Art Con uh, over the weekend up in uh, New Jersey, and that cover image was right in front of me. Someone had the original art for that um, that cover. Wow. And it's like uh, – and actually, I saw our good friend Buzz was there. Buzz actually looking at it as well because Buzz did some work on the early JSA books. Oh, great. Uh, one of the annuals, as I recall, yeah. had some of them looking at. On page 134, 135, there's a lot of great stuff here. you got Justice League of America, the Bronze Age Omnibus Volume 2. I mean, you have to have $125 or whatever DCB services discounting it at. But half off, sir. New trade, new right. hardcover, half off. Work with me here. Well, even more. Ah, uh, pantaloons. I love when he cracks the whip. <laughs> uh, even more exciting, Commandy by Kirby. Oh, 880 pages. Oh, wow. 125 bucks and a half off. You get the his entire run on Commandy. And then, and then the people that came after him. So it's Commandy 1 through 40. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> That's exciting. New Teen Titans, the Judas Contract, Deluxe Edition Hardcover, repackaged for the millionth time. But a great story. <laughs> you know, it's – well, hey, when it, it, it keeps delivering. It's a classic. It's an evergreen. Yep, that even better term. Oh, look at this, Murd, on page 136, Shazam! The New Beginning, the Roy Thomas and Dan Thomas story. Uh, that was from the 80s, I believe, right? It was. It was the late 80s. Uh, yeah. Much as I love Roy Thomas and much as I love Captain Marvel, though, uh, this uh, reboot of uh, the character for the post-crisis era was kind of a non-starter. It was retconned out of there by Orgway's The Power of Shazam within just a couple of years. Um, so I don't think it really deserves the hardcover treatment. If you want to read it, find it in the bins, um, and which, uh, come to think of it, is exactly what I plan to do uh, at the Wild Pig Sale on September 30th. <laughs> Isn't he a swell gang? Uh, huh, huh. Well, no kidding. Uh, I didn't even know there were any Captain Marvel stories in Act Action Comics Weekly. There's four of those included in this trade, and I will definitely be looking in your bins, Chris, to find those. Well, we've definitely had these books in there before. I'll, I'll check and see if they're there now, but again, we have a lot of... A lot of back issues coming in in the weeks to come. So, page one thirty eight. I, lo I love the, the the cover design for these. Teen Titans: The Silver Age, Volume One. Oh yeah, Michael Cho does those uh, covers. Oh, they're fantastic. They are. I've I've seen some of the original art for those. It's like oh, it's extremely tempting to get some of those. The Look at Wonder Girl, I mean. <laughs> Wonder Girl sipping her bottle of cola. Fantastic. Uh, what about Vertigo, gentlemen? Well, on page 142, there's a new series from Tim Seeley. It's called Imaginary Fiends, which posits that uh, there's a dimension full of uh, psychic parasites existing just parallel to ours, and uh, certain uh, malign presences from that dimension sometimes find their way into this one and uh, insinuate themselves into the minds of uh, the, uh, quote, uh, impressionable and weak. And uh, one, of, uh, one particular girl was driven to near murder, by uh, the imaginary fiend that lodged in her brain. She was able to uh, reach an understanding with her fiend, and now uh, an intelligence agency is using her to help hunt down other such fiends. Interesting premise. 
Um, I, I can think of a few other publishers that might have been a better home for it than Vertigo, but here it is. It's a six-issue miniseries, and it's written by Tim Steele. Tim Steele. All right. On to IDW? Yep. All right, so right on page 150, 151, they've got a two-page spread here. Sword of Ages number one. Now, this is exciting because it's the co-creator of Lock and Key, the artist Gabriel Rodriguez, doing his own property here. Uh, it's kind of hard to read the text, though. I'm sorry. Give me one second here. All right, a mythic origin story you never expected to see. Uh, this winter, the, the sword will be drawn for the first time ever, courtesy of writer-artist, Lock and Key co-creator Gabriel Rodriguez. This five-issue miniseries adventure of epic proportions, a young woman will become the first wielder of the most famous sacred weapon of all time to champion for world survival, inspiring a legion of heroes to join their struggle against a merciless alien force. The line between science fiction and magic might get fuzzy, but the, but the line between – I'm sorry, it's hard to read this, guys. They're using black pipe on purple, which was not a good idea. <laughs> between heroes and villains will be drawn in blood. Art looks beautiful. I have great respect for this man's talents and the work he's done on lock and key, so I may give this a shot. So, The Sword of Age is number one for my IDW. Alright, the only thing I have to say about IDW is further down, so I'll let you guys jump in here if you have anything you want to mention earlier than where I'm going to go. And you know where I'm going, Pants. I'm at that page right now. Might as well go there. <laughs> anyway, I want to talk about anything before I get to the page I'm talking about. Because I'm all the way at uh, page... 182? God, yes. <laughs> oh. Okay, here's, here's my... Alright, gentlemen. To borrow a phrase from Pants, here's my first world struggle. <laughs> I've sworn off artist editions because I have so many of them, and they're so expensive, and I get very little time to actually look at them, even though I have a large number of them. Mm-hmm. But for Pete's sake, they've done one of Ross Andrew, one of my all-time favorite Amazing Spider-Man artists, and... <laughs> to make matters worse in a good way, they're including his first issue, Amazing Spider-Man 125, part of the Man-Wolf story, <laughs> entitled Wolf Hunt. Yes. And which was incorporated into the classic Power record. <sighs> this is going to be really hard to resist. <laughs> we'll see. But again, if you have the disposable income, these books are beautiful. And notice the next page, gentlemen, they, they're uh, re-soliciting. The Gil Kane Spidey uh, Artist Edition, the Star Wars Artifact Edition from the original miniseries by Thomas and Chaikin and other artists, the John Byrne Fantastic Four Artist Edition, and the classic John Buscema Silver Surfer Artist Edition. Woo! Beautiful stuff. Yeah. Um, the Spider-Man Ross Andrew is 25% off of DCBS, but it's still ninety-three seventy-five. Yeah, it's going to be hard for me to justify that. Oh, man, wolf, tough. man, wolf, man, wolf. <laughs> Let me jump back to page 173. This is exciting. <laughs> Star Wars, the classic newspaper comics volume to the legendary run by Archie Goodwin, Al Williamson, and Alfred Alcala. Oh, my God. These are gorgeous. These, if, you, if you've seen some of these, I think some of them have been reprinted by Dark Horse in the past. Um, these are – I mean for me, Al Williams is one of the greatest comic Star Wars artists of all time. No one drew a more sinister Darth Vader until like Salvador LaRocca in his classic Darth Vader run with Kieran Gillen. Um, this is a great book. You're getting uh, 296 pages for 50 bucks before discount. So if you're a Star Wars fan, I would recommend this. 
On page 153, we've got another uh, Bart Sears and Ron Mars collaboration, uh, similar to their recent Dread Gods. It's uh, called Giant Killers. 48 pages for only $3.99. That's really super cheap by IDW standards. Indeed. Um, so, again, 90s uh, nostalgia plus uh, love for the work of these two rather gifted creators. I don't really know that much about what it's going to be about. That's the only other thing about IDW I would mention. Pants, anything else for you? Nope. Uh, on to Image then, I guess. Image it is. Image it is. As always, you can count on a, on a host of new number ones. For Image every month, I love how they'll give any kind of uh, genre a try, which is one of the reasons why Image is one of the most dynamic companies in comics as far as I'm concerned. So we've got the Gravediggers Union number one, story written art by Wes Craig. Uh, our rising star, Toby Cypress. The supernatural world has gone crazy. The apocalypse is coming, and only the Gravediggers Union can stop it. How? Well, first, the leader Cole has to fight his estranged daughter, but is she the one behind the apocalypse, wild comedic horror with his steroid zombies, monster gods, swamp vampires, ghost storms, and space monkeys? Did you say space Sounds monkeys? Promising. I said space monkeys. <laughs> hmm. Number one with a bullet, number one, a story by uh, Jacob uh, Semon. I forgive me if I mispronounced that. Art by uh, Jorge Corona. Futurism. Her social media, strong. Her variety show segments a hit. Nash Wang is at the top of her game. When the IRS shutter contact lens hits the market, Nash's life is personally invaded. The latest leap forward in technological progress. These contacts not only play video or augment reality, but also record footage. Fighting to keep her life together after a leaked sip, sex tape goes viral. A clingy superfan is the last thing on Nash's mind, but that's exactly when the body is piled up and the terror begins. That also sounds promising. With a, an accolade from Clive Barker. On page 190, Coyote's number one. Underworld meets Sicario. All right, well, a really bad movie meets a really great movie. So um, this new series from Sean Lewis, and yes, I mean Underworld is bad and Sicario is good in my opinion. An amazing new artist, Caitlin uh, Yarsky, hunted by a legion of wolves that roam the border. Women are disappearing. The survivors band together to wage war. Detective Frank Coffey is trying to understand this mythic level bloodbath that he comes across red, a little girl with a secret and a sword. Ultraviolent, smart as hell, Coyotes transforms the everyday into a myth we can rally behind. Oh, well, let's just continue the hit parade of number ones from Image this month. Uh, we'll go right over to page 191. Dark Fang number one. It's about an uh, ocean-dwelling vampire who rises from the depths to seek vengeance against the uh, industrial polluters who are ruining her home. So we've got a literal vampire going up against the figurative vampires of uh, the corporate despoilers of the environment. You know, the symbolic parallelism there is a little heavy-handed, but it might still make for a fun story. I mean, they, they, they kind of piqued my interest at underwater vampire. <laughs> so some interesting ideas going on there. I want to point on page 196 because I love Andrea uh, Moody's work from uh, Brian Wood's um, Rebels series about the American Revolution, Revolutionary War era. Uh, Port of Earth number one, story by Zach Kaplan. Imagine if aliens came to Earth not in war at peace but with a business deal. Open up a space here on Earth in exchange for advanced technology. When our alien visitors break port restrictions and wreak havoc in our cities, it falls the newly formed Earth security agents to hunt down and safely deport the dangerous rogue aliens back to the port of Earth. A gritty sci-fi action thriller from a new comic writer, Zach Kaplan, who wrote Eclipse, and of course, Andrea Moody. Could be a cool concept. might have some noirish aspects to it. I might give this a shot. I love, I love that artwork. All right. And now we have the cavalcade of image ongoing titles. Again, again, there's something here for everybody, literally. 
I can't praise this company enough for the direction they've taken over the last several years. My shout-out is always on to page 2 for 17. Killer, ki- killer be killed the latest Brubaker, Sean Phillips, Brightweiser masterpiece. You know, they're... they're Take on the sort of the vigilante uh, plot device. It's mass. It's 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 a it's a masterpiece. If you're a Lazarus fan, the X plus sixty six miniseries is outstanding. Sometimes these offshoots are kind of a letdown. Not this one. Greg Rucker and Eric Troutman uh, writing, exploring different corners and characters of the Lazarus world. Wonderful. Highly recommend that. Now on page two twenty, Mage. All right, so the hero denied. Matt Ryder is completing his, his, his trilogy that's been going on now with large gaps in time for many years since the 80s. And I read issue zero and one. It's great. If, if you love Mage, the, the, the uh, saga of Kevin Matchstick, his relationship to the power of Excalibur. Uh, this, is, this is the final chapter, ladies and gentlemen, and so far it is delivering big time. If you've never read Mage, you can get the first two arcs in, in trade. You want to see a, a classic indie career at the top of his game? Check it out. All right, and I guess that'll finish it up uh, uh, for us with Image. We seem to have lost Adam, so we'll soldier on here with Chris as we head into uh, Marvel. Because- All right, so obviously we want to talk about Captain America 695. We should mention Marvel has returned all their books to their original numbering. So regardless of how many volumes there's been, they just counted all of those volumes up and – it's back to the original numbering for all these titles. Yes. So we're at Captain America 695. All that matters here, Pants, is the creative team. <laughs> Mark Wade and Chris Samney of, of, the, of the Daredevil of Daredevil fame. I, I don't – they could be you know, writing and drawing their, their weekly grocery list. I'm going to pay money to read that <laughs> and look at it. And Now, we haven't finished Secret Empire yet, but – what a shock! Steve Rogers is back as Captain America. You know, I, I, I never expected that. But regardless, I've been enjoying Secret Empire. I'm just to see how they ended up. I'm even more excited about this book. Steve begins a journey across America to restore his tarnished reputation. It's by Mark Wade, Chris Samney. It's going to be great. As Kirby would say, "Don't think, just buy it." So that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, interesting to read Marvel Legacy when that comes out uh, in the near future because a lot of these books are going to be coming out of that essentially. Right. Interested to see what happens there. A lot of these books I'm not really reading right now just because of money and time, and also you know a lot of stuff is, is predictable. Uh, but there's still things I'm very excited about. Um, they're doing a – forgive me. Um, actually, I was disappointed to see Jeff Lemire is no longer writing Thanos as of issue 13. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit now because of budgetary reasons and time – it, it, you know, it may, maybe it's short-sighted, but you know, if, if a writer I really love it leaves a book, I leave the book. Basically, that's okay. kind of my role right now. Like when Jason Aaron left Doctor Strange, you know, I, I moved on to something else just because it, time and money. So for me now, it all really depends on, on who's writing this stuff. Um, although I have to point out on page thirty-five, not brand X number fourteen. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> wow, Nick Spencer's one of the writers. Forbush Man is back, <laughs> and you know he's dabbing there, doing something like that. That I mean, that could be fun. That's a, that, that's a Silver Age classic, not Bran Eck. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Master of Kung Fu returns issue one twenty six on page thirty seven. Forgive my ignorance; I have no idea who the writer CM Punk is. I love the character. I may try oh, it. You know, if, if I didn't know better, I, I thought that CM Punk was a wrestler. Oh. 
Then I definitely don't because I'm, I'm a, I don't follow professional wrestling at all. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, well, Philip J. Jack Brooks, better known by the ring name CM Punk, is American mixed martial artist. There, I'm sorry, mixed martial artist. Uh, well, I hope I hope he can write too. <laughs> no, I think we'll he's see. I think he's written written. written. <laughs> Listen to me try and speak. I believe he's written a, a few other books um, recently. Let me see if I can find any of that. Uh, da, 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 da. In February 2015, a Thor annual number one, uh, written by Brooks, was released, and he co-wrote the Most Cursed, which appeared in Vertigo Comics's Strange Sports Stories number three. All right, so yeah, he has done some other writing then, Chris. Okay, great. I'm going to give it a try because I love the Shang-Chi character. Yes, I know you do. Um, all right. Also mentioned Power Pack Returns by De- with Devin Grayson writing. Yeah. Um, I know I know Murd is a, a fan of her work. Um, they're picking up with issue 63. Uh, you know, Power Pack is what a tried and true 80s uh, Marvel concept. So that may be worth checking out. Uh, Ta-Nisi Coates Black Panther continues to be outstanding. I highly recommend that title. Very A very literary... Uh, character nuance uh, exploration of T'Challa and his world and the politics of Wakanda, outstanding. Uh, I'm very excited to read, because uh, it's Mark Wade again, uh, the generation story, well, it's spanning gen- the generation's one-shots and Avengers and Champions. Uh, I mean, I- I'm sorry Murd's not with us because the High Evolutionary is clearly a major player in this story, and Murd is such a fan of the High Evolutionary concept, so that's exciting. Page 43. Again, I'm sure Pants would concur. Few super books as good as Jason Aaron's Thor these days. Oh, that is yeah. a classic. Uh, it, some of the best Thor stories I've, I've read in my life, and I'm a huge Thor fan. I've, I've read pretty much every era of the character to some degree or another. Uh, the artwork – Russell Dorderman has tends to be the main artist. They bring other people in. Everybody they've brought in, though, to do work on this book has been outstanding in terms of the visuals. Um, it's a great book. I mean, if you love the history of Thor, uh, you know, it focuses on Jane Foster, but there's also Odin's son is in there quite a bit now. The politics of Asgard. Uh, Pant, did you read the Thor generation story? I just got it in my chin, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Okay, I, I won't spoil it then, because but let me, we'll talk about that when you read it because I think you're really going to enjoy that too. Okay. Um, that's also, of course, uh, Aaron. Um, interesting on page 47. I got to catch up with Spidey. I'm way behind on the slot run. I did order 790 because I know it's a jump-on point, and 791 apparently is getting it on with Mockingbird now. Hmm. Peter getting Peter getting frisky, like he, he's he's definitely taken on some challenging relationships in his life here. So I'm looking forward to that. The Luke Cage book by David Walker. This is another writer I, I praise endlessly. That's enough. This is an outstanding book, uh, exploring Cage and his world and his past. Highly recommend that. Just a roll call of greatness here at pages 90, 91, uh, excuse me, 50 and 51. Jessica Jones, uh, by the, the originators of the character Bendis and Gato, so it doesn't get better than that. Um, oh, Kilgrave's back. That can't be good. Um, and the Defenders book, which I'm behind on, but I'm also enjoying thoroughly, also by Bendis. Art by David Marquez. Excellent stuff. Great Marvel Street, street concepts. Uh, let's see. I also wanted to point out that uh, the always fantastic Star Wars comic, they're bringing on a new writer, but don't worry because it's Kieran Gillen <laughs> <laughs> who wrote the, the what I consider the classic Darth Vader series of a year or so back. 
with art by Salvador Larocca, I'm reading – I mean this series has basically been perfect as far as I'm concerned. I've loved every issue. Uh, Aaron's run, is, is, I think, is one of the, the great Star Wars comics of all time, and I, I have great confidence in Gillen. I want to jump back also to page 72. I'm very excited for this. Punisher the Platoon. It's Garth Ennis doing the Punisher in Vietnam with art by Goran Parlov, who wrote, who drew the masterful uh, Nick Fury series he and uh, Ennis did a couple years back, which explored Nick Fury in sort of like the real world uh, in the 50s in Vietnam or French Indochina, mm-hmm. in the 60s in Cuba. Uh, Fury, my war gone by. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of Ennis's best works. Uh, if you read Punisher Born which were in his explored the Punisher in Vietnam right before he leaves uh, uh, Vietnam. This is uh, 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 the Frank Castle early in his career at Vietnam in his first tour of duty. It's going to be great. I-, I have no doubt about it. I'm very excited for this. So no one does war comics better than us right now in this medium. The Darth Vader comic by Charles Soule has been fantastic. Uh, the first couple issues I've just – Blown my mind, just exploring Vader again. This is Vader right after he gains the armor, so right after the events of um, Revenge of the Sith, that's going on his first missions for the Emperor. And of course, the Emperor puts him through a gauntlet to prove himself. Essentially, highest recommendation. Oh, so many great comics to read. <laughs> Not enough money or time, pants. Yep. yep. Page ninety. Another great omnibus, Daredevil by Wade and Samney, Volume Two. That'll be that's a hundred bucks. That'll be fifty bucks, right? Pants fifty percent off. That's the math. <laughs> That'll be hard to resist. Math is always my not my strong suit. And equally exciting, on page ninety one, ah, oh, Avengers Omnibus Volume Three, variant covers Alan Davis. Huh. Listen to this. So it's Avengers fifty nine to eighty eight. So this this is the classic Roy Thomas, John Buscema, Sal Buscema run. On the Avengers. Incredible Hulk 140, which I think was a Harlan Ellison story, and Marvel Super 17. If, if you love Avengers, if you've not read, this is like the Bible for the Avengers, the Roy Thomas, John Buscema concepts. So much of that you're seeing applied in the films. This is also $100 or 50 bucks. It's worth it. These are classics. Highest recommendation. All the groundwork for like, the Avengers great are in, in, the, in the Thomas era. Any other trades I want to – oh, I also, want to, I also want to mention uh, – forgive me. Uh, the Inhumans miniseries by Christopher Priest. Again, I'm going to you know, get all in a lather here about Priest and how much I love his work. But he's exploring the origins of the Inhuman royal family and how they came to power. I read the first issue. It was great because no one does political intrigue and, and sort of geopolitics better than Priest. So definitely check this miniseries out. first issue was fantastic. It explores – you know, the, the king who ruled the Inhumans before uh, – Black Bolt and his family and how they take power. So fascinating. This is another trades I want to shout out here. Uh, let's see. On page 115, Marvel continues to reprint the Dark Horse Star Wars books. It's the New Republic, volume three, written by Michael Stackpole, penciled by Gary Erskine and others. Again, a rogue squadron here. If you're a Wedge Antilles fan, you want to read these stories. There's some good stuff in there. Pants, I want to mention a couple other things, and unfortunately I have to depart. Yeah, let's go do the lightning round for the rest of the book there, yeah. sir. You're up. You're up. 
Well, I know you want to talk about on page 246. Yes. The, the final uh, issue. Final issue Motor of Girl Motor Girl. Girl. Yes, very much enjoying yep. that. Uh, I'm going to miss seeing it go. But when it ends, and that means uh, he can work on and come out with Strangers in Paradise when it's coming back in 2018. Yes, it is. So it's a bittersweet for Motor Girl, but it's going to lead on to something I'm sure we're all going to enjoy thoroughly. Motor Girl, though, has been wonderful. It sure has. I haven't read the latest issue yet, but again, when we talk, we, we throw the word around like master or genius, you know. Terry Moore is a genius. Terry Moore is one of the greatest living creators in comics as far as I'm concerned. He can do any genre. He's one of the finest artists in the business. He letters. He does it all. I mean, Star Wars Trainers in Paradise that go through all his other work, as far as I'm concerned, you will never be disappointed. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited for that. I want to mention in the Aftershock section, I, on page 258, I read the first issue of Unholy Grail by Cullen Bunn, art by Mirko Kolak. The, pre the premise is, well, what if Arthur was being guided by a Merlin who's actually not really Merlin. It's actually a Merlin inhabited by a demon, or a demon has taken the place of Merlin. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the first issue. Great concept. I, I haven't gotten the subsequent issues, but from what I read in the first one, that made a new, a new title worth checking out. That's from Aftershock. Um, I also want to mention again – I'm just jumping here because i got I to leave shortly, unfortunately uh, – Boom has continued to milk their Planet of the Apes license. <laughs> I'm surprised this wasn't done sooner because it just makes sense on page 294. Kong on the Planet of the Apes, a six-issue miniseries written by uh, Ryan Ferrier, illustrated by Carlos Magno. Following the events of the first Planet of the Apes film, Dr. Zayas and General Ursus lead a small group of soldiers to the Forbidden Zone to destroy any remaining evidence of Teller's time among them. To their surprise, they discover a Kong. Now they must venture to Skull Island with Cornelius and Zira to discover the truth, but they never not survive the deadliest journey of their lives. In, I'm totally getting this. <laughs> it just looks so fun. I mean, look at that cover. Come on. <laughs> I'm all over that. Ugh. I just got a little tingle inside over that. Fantastic. Pants, anything else you want to shout out? Well, I'll take care of it once you're done. Go through your, your stuff first. Okay, I wanted to point out on page 322, uh, again, I really want to applaud uh, Dynamite for their, how they've been handling the James Bond license. Pretty much everything I've read, including the Felix Leiter miniseries, has been fantastic. And uh, they're doing a new one-shot, uh, writer-artist uh, Ibrahim Mustafa, James Bond Solstice. Art looks wonderful. Uh, if you really enjoy the world of Bond, and if you want, like, the – I mean, I love the Roger Moore era of Bond, but if you want the edgy, dark, you know, more like Daniel Craig or Sean Connery Bond, you're going to really enjoy what Dynamite's been doing. So I, I, everything they've done, I, I've loved, so I, I recommend that wholesale, basically. Um, this is interesting on page 327, also from Dynamite, Gumby Imagined. I saw that. Gumby. The story of Art Cloakey and his creation. So that's very interesting if you're a fan of – I'm sure Murr would be, be talking about this, um, about the world of what the creations of Gumby, Pokey, that whole world, and Claymation. Uh, that book's for you. So you may want to check that out. Uh, I'm not as much else I want to talk about. Oh, well, on page 341, the unquotable Trump graphic novel. Cartoonist R. Uh, Sikorak draws upon the power of comic satire to, to frame President Trump in his controversial declarations as the words and actions of the most notable villains and antagonists in comic book history. So 
Love Trump, hate Trump, ambiguous about Trump. This looks like it could be entertaining. Is the staff pick a spotlight on page 341? Uh, I maybe almost have shot my bolt here, Pansy. Okay. Because there's not much. Oh, wait. I should mention on page 350 just because it, it always demands mention. Uh, this is from um, Fantagraphics, I believe. Again, all the EC hardcover reprints. They, they come out, you know, perennially, but they're always worth reading. I mean, this, this is the foundation of much of the modern comic book in terms of, you know, cutting edge innovations in terms of layout, page design, story content, um, sophistication. They got Tales from the Crypt here, Shock Suspense Stories, Two Fisted Details, which are military comics, Frontline Combat, Crime Suspense, Weird Science. Uh, if you're if you if you're interested in the history of the, of the the American comic book medium, definitely check those books out. And on page three forty eight, also fantastic graphics. I've never read Charles Burns' Black Hole. I know it's got it's got quite a reputation in terms of indie books. That's something I have to put on my list. That's what, that's been reoffered as a, a hundred fifty dollar hardcover, uh, hundred pa- hundred sixty pages on page three forty eight, also from Fantagraphics. So. Pants, I think I've just about shot my bolt. I want to apologize. I have to depart for familial duties. All right. Well, one quick thing. Page 430 is spotlight on Alter Eagle number 150. Pants, it, if, I, if, if this was feudal Japan, I'd be committing seppuku right now for neglecting to go to the tomorrow's section. I am ashamed of myself. Especially because it's Alter Eagle 150. Lights the candles of Stanley's 95th birthday with a special celebration. Rarely interviewed by Will Murray, conducted the 1980s. Stan's non-model writer in the 1950s. Stanley Roy Thomas emails the 21st century. Yes, they used <laughs> private servers. I can't, I can't wait. Ugh. Back issue 95. Uh, focuses on, on Moon Knight. Because, I mean, again, it's tomorrow's. They're reissuing American Comic Book Chronicles. If you've ever read the American Comic Book Chronicles, they take through all the different decades of the American Comic Book. These books are definitive histories as far as I'm concerned on the era that the comics came out in, the pop culture they were intermingled with, the, the significance of various creators, storylines, titles, characters. I own every hardcover. They are well worth being on your bookshelf if you're a fan of the history of the medium. Once again, I am preparing ritual to... Commit seppuku. I can't believe I was going to leave without mentioning tomorrow's. That is, that is an unprecedented failure on my part. Mr. Weatherington, I will form some kind of mea culpa in your honor. <laughs> All right, Pantaloons. I want to thank you for uh, keeping us online here. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, again, I hope people can join us at uh, the big sale at my store on September 3rd, October 1st. Stay tuned for more details on that on, on this show, on the forums, on Facebook, and our website. And Pants, I already miss you. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing you very soon, sir. Yes, you got it, sir. All right, good night, brother. Take care. Viacon Rio. Bye. <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, unfortunately, Chris had to depart, and we actually think we might have fried Adam's laptop trying to get him on the phone. So I will wrap up this episode with a couple of spotlights that I have from the back of the book. Starting first on page 268 from American Mythology. This looks quite interesting. Underdog 1975. It says, Holy Dancing Disco Bell Bottoms, Underdog. It's 1975 again. 
American mythology has uncovered beautiful unpublished underdog stories from the original Gold Key comic series that have never been seen before. These stories are by the original creative team of Steve Skeets and John Albano and were discovered in a collector's stash. Sounds amazing. We've resurrected these archaeological finds and given them some TLC to create Underdog 1975. Looking forward to that. I, I love Underdog and just some unpublished material. I think that's fantastic. And I'm going to jump ahead to page 394 uh, from Paper Cuts, a Gumby Volume 1 graphic novel, speaking of Gumby, uh, written by Kyle Baker and Varys. Uh, Gumby, Pokey, and the gang are back with new adventures for the first time in over 10 years. So if you like Gumby, check that out. All right, and those are just actually some of a couple of quick things. I don't have a whole lot from the back of the book, so we're going to actually just wrap it up right there. Uh, and want to mention again, thank you to our sponsor, Discount Comic Book Service. Uh, check them out, dcbservice.com, for all your pre-ordering needs. If you'd like to leave us an email, we're comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail. Number is 267-702-6642. You can visit us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. We're Comic Geek Speak. You can join us in conversation at thecomicforums.vanillaforums.com and talk back about this episode as well as many other topics. We want to thank everyone who contributed to the show. We appreciate it very much. Couldn't do it without you. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. All right, it's Friday at Fan Expo. I'm sitting here with Len Wein. How you doing, sir? I'm just fine, thanks. So uh, you've been to Fan Expo before? No, it's my first time. Very first time. What do you think? It's incredibly impressive. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good show. It is. One so, of the bigger shows I've been to. Yeah, I'm, you said you're from Los Angeles, so I'm sure you go to San Diego. Oh, from yeah, I've been going there since it was a tiny little show. But right. Nothing quite compares to that, but this is, this is close. It's pretty big. So now you have a long and illustrious career in comics. How did you, when did you first start reading comics? God, when I was seven years old. I was sick and in the hospital, and my dad brought me a stack of comic books to read, and that was the end. I was done. And you're hooked. Do you remember what any of those comics were? First comic I remember reading was an issue of Detective Comics, the story called The Man Who Ended Batman's Career. It introduced a villain called Professor Milo. In fact, and Batman becomes a character called Starman because he becomes uh, phobic about bats. And James Robinson later used that Starman character as one of the incarnations of Starman during his Starman book. Well, that's very cool. Yeah. And then you made the transition into being a creator. How did that work out for you? Like, how, what, what was well, the process? Well, I haven't really worked for a living my whole life, so that's worked out pretty well. <laughs> Comics are just a hobby to you, even though it's a career? Well, it's, it's a well-paying hobby. Yeah. But, you know, com- I mean, I've been a writer now for your lifetime and beyond. <laughs> when, what was your first paid gig? Do you remember? My first, my very first paid gig was a story that Marv Wolfman and I wrote and drew for a magazine called Castle of Frankenstein. Uh, it was called The Conjurer and the Man Called Armageddon. And we got paid $25 cash and 25 copies of the book. Wow. And then you said that you 
you, between the two of you, you wrote and drew it. So who yes. did the art on that? Both of us. I started as an artist. Oh, really? And then you decided you preferred writing? Well, or? people looked at my art. Oh, and then you they said, decided I be they a preferred writer. my writing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you still dabble at all in drawing? Well, yeah, I, there's a I, I, there's a quick Batman sketch I do at cons. Takes me all about 15 seconds to do. I got down to a science. Uh, I dabble now and again. At, the art background makes it easy for me to write because my artists almost always know exactly what they have in mind. Oh, well, that makes sense. Now, so you've done things like Swamp Thing, for example. Now, what do you think about when the whole Alan Moore thing, did you feel, did you like that run? or? I was his editor, so I, I didn't so you, like it. He wouldn't have done it. Oh, there you go. I was the guy who brought Alan over to write the book. Oh, you picked him for that? Yes. Oh, that was a good choice then, huh? It was. Turned out all right. Who knew? Right. <laughs> Now, are you? Uh, what are you working on these days? A uh, number of things. I'm, I'm just finishing up a run on Justice League of America. Back to that book after a whole lot of years. Uh, yeah. My first two issues are out. The third one should be out within a month. Uh, I'm writing episodes of a TV series called Ben 10. Oh, yes. Alien Force. I've done a bunch of those. Um, I'm expecting to be writing for the new Human Target live action series. Oh, very based cool. Based on another one of my characters. Oh, you created Human Target? Yes. Very nice. And uh, I have a big project coming up for DC next year that I can't talk about yet. Now, who is uh, Human Target? What what studio, what uh, company, TV is? Warner Brothers and Fox. In okay. the States, the uh, show premieres January 17th right behind American Idol oh, on Fox. Cool. That's very Cast nice. includes Mark Valley, who used to be one of the stars of Boston Legal, and Keen Eddie was okay. on Fringe last year. Chai McBride, who just came off of Pushing Daisies, and Jackie Earl Haley, who played Rorschach in the Watchmen movie. Very good. So it's a cool cast. Yeah. Now, are, are, do, you, do you keep up in reading current comics at all? At all. I mean, I read some. I don't read anywhere near what I used to read. I used to read everything. You can't keep doing that and retain your sanity. Right. Oh, well, sure. So I, I maybe read 10% of what comes out, and I skim much of the rest of it. So what do you what do you think of the current state of comics as a whole? When it's creative, it's astonishingly creative. Some of the stuff is breathtakingly good. I think the art overall is at a level unlike any it's ever been at before. It's breathtaking work by a lot of people with a wide range of incredibly effective styles. Uh, the writing is a little less intense than it used to be, I think. There, there's more talking heads than there ever was when I was reading the books. Oh, that's true, yeah. There are whole issues where the characters never even get in costume. They just stand around and talk about their problems. And it's sort of like soap opera comics, where it's all opera and no soap. Right. So you prefer something with a little more fun, a little more action? I prefer density of incident. This is a phrase I learned way back there you when. Go, yeah. where, where you get your money's worth, where a bunch of stuff goes on. No one has to be fighting all the time. I actually am not a huge fan of nothing but fight scenes. Sure. But there's a way of keeping the camera and the characters moving without having them hit each other that makes the page more electric and more energetic. Now, is there any anything that you're reading or keeping an eye on that you're really enjoying right now? I'm a big fan of Fables. Oh, yeah, me Fables. too. It's my favorite uh, book. Much of the Green Lantern stuff going on is very impressive. Uh, I've been enjoying Justice Society of America, Justice League, of course. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man's been interesting. Um, what, what was your take on the whole brand new days, kind of starting clean thing? I 
have really mixed feelings. Spider-Man, to me, has always been a ground-level hero. He's been, in many ways, Marvel's equivalent of Batman. In my world, certainly when I was writing the book all the years I did it, Spider-Man fought human villains. They may have had superpowers, like, but he did too, but they were all real people. He never got into aliens. He never got into the supernatural. I mean, even Mysterio, who was apparently supernatural, turned out to be nothing but a, a, a con man. He was a sure. special effects guy. When you start getting involved with stories of the devil and aliens, I mean, I thought Venom was the death of Spider-Man in many ways. Once you got an alien villain there who became a major aspect of the book, what made Spider-Man unique got lost. But what about the humanity behind Venom? Eddie Brock and whomever is that they, now? They work with it. It still takes some places as a character. He ought not to go, as far as I'm concerned, as a sure. reader. Sure. Now, this isn't as professional. This is me, the fan. I think there is a level of, and I'll use quotes around it, reality in Spider-Man that's important. And once you start getting into stuff... So, so the fact that they rebooted the series is 50-50. The fact they had to use the devil to do it really bothers the hell out of me. Yeah. Kind of a cheap, the whole, it's magic, yeah, we don't I mean, have it's, to explain it kind of thing. It's literally the, the day ex machina, except it's the wrong kind of god. Right. But I, as a, as I'm a, I'm a big fan of Spider-Man, and I've been reading it since Brand New Day, and I think that the book is actually really fun and, and very enjoyable right now. Oh, I agree. Much Aside from that, I like it. There are certain things, and maybe it's the old fanboy geek in me, but I never thought Superman should get married. I never thought Peter Parker should get married. Peter Parker especially was the story of a guy who became Spider-Man because his life as Peter Parker sucked. Spider-Man was his escape. Spider-Man was his release. When you're married to the most beautiful woman in the world, how bad can your life be? Right. Yeah. And it sort of takes much of the underlying concept of who and what Peter Parker is away from the character. So now, as a as a guy who's been writing comics for, for a long time, do you still enjoy writing comics? Absolutely. You still love the business and oh. everything? I, well, the, well, I still love the medium, right, not necessarily right, the business. Right, right, right. Uh, we've all gotten the business from the business. Sure, it? right. But as a medium, I absolutely love it. I, I mean, I get the same thrill now when I pick up a new issue of something I've written that I did when I first started writing them all those years ago. Do you have copies of everything you've ever written? Uh, well, I, until I had a fire this past Oh, yes, April, I, yes. Yeah, I heard about that. That's terrible. Now I've got most of it again. I mean, Mark Evanier, my old friend, started a website to have people help replace the books I lost. And, and the generosity of fandom astonishes me. At this point, they've probably replaced 90, 95% of what I lost. That's that's fantastic. The comic, That's the one thing that we've learned by being involved in this whole comic book world is that the community is really an awesome thing. Oh, absolutely. They are there for you. They are a terrific bunch of people as a whole. Well, great. Len, thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, My pleasure. We hope you're enjoying your, your convention, and uh, thank you for being here. And uh, and uh, if people, if there are still that 5% of your books that you're missing, is this website, you people can still find you, it? Go to Mark Evanier's uh, News From Me, one word, newsfromme.com Look up Len Wein's comic collection. He's got an actual checklist of everything that's been replaced and everything that's still needed. Awesome. Well, hopefully we can uh, close that gap even a little more. I appreciate that. Thanks All so right. much. Thank you very much. My pleasure.